Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Today, as we start Advent together, we celebrate on the foundational point of what the Advent season is all about, where it starts, the the genesis of the thought altogether, and that is this concept, this understanding of hope. The reality is sometimes hope is hard to come by. Sometimes hope is uh, forgotten or diminished, or even a, a sliver might remain from time to time, but hope is something that can be fleeting and something that can fill us. Hope is something that can be motivating and something that can be, if lost, discouraging or depressing or deflating. I have to be honest, first service, uh, we had a little bit of a a power surge in the building and uh, a fire alarm went off and I am a little bit rattled. I will just tell you right now. So if I lose a word here or there or my train of thought, I would just ask you permit me a little bit of grace as we walk through this service together. But what I do recognize from that, and somebody actually said it to me after service, something good, God had something good in store and does have something good in store because Satan didn't want it to happen. And so I encourage you, just as I'm uh, encouraged myself, to just be astute of what God might have for us today, what he might have for you today. Be open to the Spirit. Be open to his call to hope and a celebration of the coming of his King so that this morning we can hear his Spirit, be changed from his Spirit, and move forward as a result as he formatively moves and changes us. 2007, 2008, that winter, um, I got news that my life was going to change forever. I came home from work, and I was changing my clothes into uh, my at-home clothes versus my at-work clothes. And when I went into uh, my bedroom, my wife and I's bedroom, we, our apartment could fit on this stage. It was so small. It was just a, a kitchen and a living room together and, and one bathroom and one bedroom. And when I went in there, there was a, um, two balloons. There was a blue balloon and a pink balloon. And they were on a ribbon tied to a little test that helped to tell me that I was going to be a dad for the first time. And let me just tell you the anticipation of that moment to come in nine months uh, began immediately. I was excited. My wife was excited. We both uh, were, were uh, really uh, just thinking about and, 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 and planning and putting things together. And it's interesting. Now I have three children. And let me just say no announcement today. I'm not sharing anything. No new developments to share. But three children, and each time uh, we, we, we thought, you know, here's some things we'd like to happen. Obviously, we want to be in a hospital. We want there to be a doctor, some of those things, some of the, the fundamentals. I kind of laugh when I hear about people that come up with their birth plan, the exact song, and all the things, the, the lighting at a certain, and how next to never does that stuff turn out. I can't help but wonder what Mary and Joseph's birth plan was, Right? I don't think the birth plan included riding a donkey. I don't think it included getting to the the hotel and giving birth in a stable outside of the hotel without the the care, the watchful care of, of any midwife or anyone there. 
But I think about the nine months leading up to the moment to which my wife and I were going to have our first child, and we went through some of the, the first time parent training things, right? We went to the breathing classes and some of the other things. We met with the doctor, and she went to several doctor's appointments. The closer we got, the more doctor's appointments you have. And finally, we get to the point where uh, it's getting very close. And now I know it on this end, the night before, uh, she wakes up and she's like, you know what, I'm, I'm having contractions. So we go out and we take a walk around uh, the neighborhood, just kind of walking in the area. And eventually uh, we go back in and we, we, we just kind of relax. We rest for a while. I re- rested more than she did. And then we find ourselves on the way on that Saturday to the hospital. And we get there and we, we get into the hospital room finally once they get everything together and finally I'm able to turn on. Ohio State was playing Bowling Green. I had to watch the game, right? It kept her, actually she will admit to this day, even though not a huge football fan, that it, it kept her occupied. And we watched the game and we relaxed, or I relaxed, I should say, once again. And then eventually the time came for the doctor to come and finally waiting for the doctor and eventually everything came together. And quite literally, I found myself as a new dad being asked by the doctor to kind of move over into the road to catch my new child. Now, first, I was in, 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 in complete and utter shock when I saw that my child had red hair. I was, not, I was surprised by that. I was not expecting that. But as she came out and I held her for the first time, I couldn't help but think all the anticipation all the hopes of everything coming together, everything that we had hoped for, that we had dreamed for, that we had looked forward to over the course of that nine months had come to fruition. And I now held the product of God's faithfulness, his mercy, his grace, and his blessing. And let me just tell you, the anticipation that began then did not conclude. In fact, the hope that began nine months ago did not conclude with that birth moment, but still is in effect even here today. And as we celebrate, as we come upon this season of celebration of the coming of the King Jesus, and we recognize the reality that at one point when he was born, and we live in a, a post-Christ birth world, we, we look at it as a historical account, we look back on it. When we see that, we recognize the hope that was fulfilled, but also the hope that remains even here to this day for us in this moment. Because Advent is greater than simply one moment. It's greater than just simply Christmas. It's not just a, an add-on or something along those lines. Instead, Christmas is, or Advent is, is a season of hope. It's foundational in that. Hope is, 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 Advent is all about hope. Hope is, is, is woven into every part, into the peace, into the love, into the joy, and into eventually the Christ candle, so to speak, of what Advent is about. Advent in and of itself, what does it mean? It's, it's, it means coming or arrival. It's something that we anticipate, something we expect, something that we're waiting on. Advent is not an extension of Christmas, but instead it literally links. It, it links the past, which is Jesus being born, the present, which is the experience that we have of Jesus in our life, and the future, which is the return of Jesus. And we heard from Moses reading earlier this account of Moses reading about the coming of the king. And as he read about the coming of the king, he read about the hard days, the difficult days, but the reality that someday Jesus would come. We don't have that same specific uh, engagement because in our lives, Jesus already has come. But we can relate to some extent because at some point, Jesus will, now this, this is reality, Jesus will return again. 
And so we have hope as a reality or as a result of God coming the first place and sending Jesus, but we also have hope in a new day. But sadly, because of the stress, because of the anxiety, because of the things that are before us, especially here in 2021, we look at it and we say, God, what are you doing? God, when will you return? God, when will you fulfill this gospel of hope? Get get this. I mean, you and I have probably, I've asked this, and you probably have as well. God, when are you going to return? When when are you going to return? How could things get any, quote, worse, right? And I continue to go back to the reality that in this concept and understanding of hope, that the reason he hasn't returned is because he's not done yet. The reason the Spirit tarries in many ways is because there's still opportunity, there's still a desire for more to know Him, to experience the hope that you and I have experienced, to recognize the fact that there are things that He wants to accomplish in the lives, in the hearts of people that that, that they have never experienced before and cannot experience in any other means, in any other way, from any other source. We're going to walk into, we're going to step into Jesus' narrative in, in, in the Gospel of Luke And when we look at Jesus's life, we recognize most of it is about his adulthood. We also see this big portion in in a couple of the Gospels uh, that that share the historical happenings of his actual birth. But there's also these few little things in the middle of Jesus as a small child, Jesus as an adolescent. We're going to cover the nativity, so to speak, in the course of the next few weeks. But today I want to skip forward to kind of help look at the past. And we're going to look Primarily at Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. At the story of two individuals who had hope, who clung to hope, who were filled with hope. And these two individuals were Simeon and Anna, two that kept hope alive. This was no doubt a tough time for Israel, for it had been quite a few years, many generations before uh, that, that they had heard that God had formed this new covenant. They had heard that this promise of the Messiah was to come. And they, they, had, they had been waiting, and, and I'm sure they cried out, just like you and I have even now, how long will it be until your son returns? How long will it be for them until your son comes, until the Messiah comes? I'm sure they had pictures of what this was to look like. He's going to come and there's going to be an army of angels and he's going to be riding on a chariot and he'll ride in and he'll make everything new, right? I'm sure that was kind of the thought that they had, but what took place was much different. In fact, in in, in Luke's biblical account, we see the reality that this hope is fulfilled in a way that none could ever imagine. In the midst of darkness, now think about this in the context of our lives, in the midst of darkness, God comes through in a way that we didn't expect or imagine. Can anybody testify to that this morning, that God came through in your life in a way that you never imagined or expected? Maybe in a timing that you didn't really recognize, God said, hey, you know what? I'm God, and I got this. You can have hope in me. And I think the tendency sometimes in our culture is that we've given hope to something, right? We've given hope to that raise or that relationship or this new thing that we've gotten, this tangible thing. We've given hope to whatever it might be. And and because it's something that's of this temporal world, that thing has failed us. And so therefore, the hope that we had in that has caused us to kind of be reserved and say, you know what? I don't even know if I can place hope in God because I've done this hope thing before and it came up bad. 
Maybe you're even in the room, you say, I've placed hope in God before. I wanted him to do this or to heal this person or to do this thing. And he didn't come through the way I wanted or at all in the way that I expected. And so we reserve hope or we, or, or we keep hope and we say, I'm not going to give this. I'm not going to have this. I'm not going to experience this because X, Y, or Z. And let me just tell you right now that if you hope in God, if you give your hope to God, he will show you a new reality. He will reveal to you a new truth. He will give you a new expressed life, a peace that passes all understanding that you could never experience or imagine in any way in this world. We're going to read from Luke chapter 22 today, and I, or 2, verse 22 today, and I know that this is not the, the typical nativity story, but I, I, like I said, I want to read this and then we'll, we'll back up and see how it has historical context and how it works for us today. Chapter 2, starting in verse 22, it says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the, laws of, by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem, this is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Imagine that for just a minute. Just think about this guy. His reputation is righteous and devout. Not a guy that's, uh, you know, big in stature or a guy that owns a lot or the guy that, that, that has, you know, kind of the in with the, the government or militant officials. But this is a guy who is righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So a life's goal, right? His life's goal, to see the Lord's Messiah. That's what matters most. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now think about this for a minute. This man, devout and righteous, loving God, following him, walks into the temple by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and he literally gets to hold the Son of God in his arms. He literally gets to hold the Creator's Son, the one who has come to this earth to love, to cherish, and to be the sacrifice for all humanity. His, his hope is then restored and fulfilled because of his action and because of Jesus. It says, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Job well done. I, I have accomplished what you've called me to do. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which is Jesus, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So here we see Simeon speaking this, these, these words of truth. I have seen the one who has come, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. The one who will bring glory to all people. The one who, who will give the opportunity for all to experience hope. Essentially in all aspects, especially in the darkness. It continues on, verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, I remember all three accounts of when my children were born. I don't remember the doctor ever leaning over and saying, your child, your child 
Where does it say this? I want to make sure I get it right. Is destined to cause the fall and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. This is something to take note of, right? This is something to understand that, that here, when Simeon is expressing these words to Mary and Joseph through the leading of the Holy Spirit, he is sharing the reality that this child, Jesus, is special. There is a divine nature. There is a, a, a reality that his purpose is perfect. And within that, he is the one once again granting and bringing hope. Verse 36, the camera frame switches to another person that's there in the temple. It says, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. So she's older, she's married for seven years, and then was a widow until she was 84. So spending much time on her own and continues, she never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. Thank you, God, for the hope you grant and for, for coming forth and bringing forth this, this redemptive act. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Mary and Joseph had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. And you know the story from there. These two individuals, this Simeon and Anna, they, they sparked hope in Israel. For some reason, for whatever reason, they, they, they leaned on the hope of God, the hope that he had granted through the covenant of saying, expressing that, that the Messiah would come. And as a result of that, they found this, 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 this renewed and real hope, even in the midst of the darkness that they experienced as the Israelite people. Day after day, year after year, they served God faithfully. They went in prayer. They came to him in every way possible. They were motivated by a glimmer of hope at times and by much at others. You know, sometimes, I, I know this and you know this, it can be hard to see the hope in the world. It can be hard to have hope in the world in which we live. In fact, in verse 24, it says, and, and, and this is the process, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Here we, we recognize that as a consecration act, or as an act of, of, of redemption, an act of, of, of bringing forth this, this moment of purification, two doves or two pigeons had to literally lose their life. They had to experience darkness here in this world. So I, I have just a quick, um, I'm going to step off the platform for just a moment. I have just a quick uh, object lesson here. So in the first service, when I pulled this up, is when the power went out all of a sudden. Everybody thought that was part of the show. Not the case. I'm not a magician. That's not what I'm going to do here. But I'm going to unveil. Anybody want an early Christmas present? Yes, one child, two children. Okay, they both are from my house. All right. Three, two, one. Okay. Here are two pigeons, I'm told without blemish. Excuse me, two doves, I'm told without blemish. There's my grace I asked for. I will tell you up front, I'm not going to sacrifice them today. <laughs> but what we recognize in this point of the metaphor and understanding of what a sacrifice is, that there was a need 
prior to Jesus for many different types of sacrifices. There was a need for the sacrifice of animals, for a blood atonement in many different ways, for consecration, for purification in these two rites with Jesus, for the sacrifice of sins or sacrifice of thanksgiving offerings. And in many cases, there, were, there was a need for sacrifice. I'll give them a minute. Here we go. Perfectly placed. I love how they just kind of, hey, yeah, let's show off a little bit. For these two doves in this moment, if this was a purification moment, as we read about here um, in Luke's historical account of Jesus' consecration in the temple, they would lose their life and they would then enter into darkness. Got your footing there? We're just getting to know each other. These aren't my doves. They can be yours today. I'm just kidding. See how good they are. The reality is they would enter into darkness and they would not return. That's a lack of hope. That is a means of looking at it and saying, this is darkness, there is no hope, there is nothing beyond this. But, enter stage right as we will read about in the coming of the next few weeks. There comes a new perfect lamb. A perfect lamb that we know of as the son of God, of, of as Jesus. And, and this Jesus would act as a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all humankind. And the result is for, for Jesus, there was a fleeting moment of darkness in their life. In the lives of those who follow Jesus, in the lives of all who recollect or, or uh, commemorate the moment, there was a fleeting mo- moment of darkness in Jesus' life as he died, as he expired physically here on this planet. And darkness came. However, in that moment, hope arose. And because of that, light was experienced. Light was was fulfilled. A peace was granted. And we as human beings are able to experience light through the darkness as a result of hope in our Savior in Jesus Christ. These pigeons, these doves, would experience darkness Should we put our faith in a temporal sacrifice? Should we put our faith in a temporal uh, anything of this world? We will experience darkness. But hope sees beyond the darkness. Hope goes beyond the darkness. Hope is still alive in our, our deepest pain. Hope is still alive in the moments to which we don't fully understand or can't fully experience. Hope is alive in all circumstances as we chase as we chase him and follow through the uncertainty of darkness. I would ask you to give them a hand, but they won't know that you're clapping for them, so I'm just going to ask my lovely assistant. Hope sees beyond the darkness. Romans 8, 24 through 26 reads, For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Get this. The reality here is Simeon and Anna, they hoped for something that they couldn't yet experience, that they had not yet seen. 
Let me read this again. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? And so until Simeon literally held Jesus in his hands, the hope that he had was unseen, was unrealized, was unheard of, was unthought of. You see, hope exists before reality comes to pass. Hope precedes our present reality. And the most affirming part of of Romans in in verse 26 is this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So when you are in darkness, when you are experiencing a time of discouragement or a time of longing or a time of loss or a time of mourning, when you are in those moments, guess what? Because of the reality that Jesus is on the throne, he's not, his bones are not rotting in a grave somewhere. When he's on the throne, a living God, we can experience hope because we know that he is light. So verse 25 through 27 talks more about this Simeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child, Jesus To do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God. Follow along in your note guide. The second point is this. God is with us here, now, and forever. God is with you here, now, and forever. Friends, there is no uncertainty. No uncertainty with God. Get this. God knows your pain, your challenges, your struggles right now. He knows the things you're going through. He's not taken by surprise. He wasn't taken by surprise when the uh, COVID-19 pandemic started. He wasn't taken by surprise when our economy has has, has, has trended down. He he wasn't taken by surprise when you received that call late at night about a a struggle with a loved one or a family member or when you received that call from the doctor with a a bad uh, report. He was not taken by surprise for any of those things. But also, he was not, get this, he wasn't absent either. He was with you, and he is with you. God is with you in every moment. He sees you, and he is here with you. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with you through the person of the Holy Spirit. Our God, our Emmanuel, who is with us, has promised his people throughout history a message, a, a, a message of hope. Jeremiah 29, 11, a passage many know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, obviously, this is for one specific person, but the universal principles are true. God has a plan for you. He is with you. In Isaiah 43, it reads, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God is here. Yeah, God is here. God is with you. And he's not only just in this place, but he goes with you when you leave. God is with, I don't know if you practiced during Thanksgiving. Uh, I talked about some practical things to, 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 to continue to, to focus on who we're thankful to and what we're thankful for. One of them was to have an empty chair, right, at the, at the Thanksgiving table. 
don't know if you practice that, but what a, a great reminder that is and what a great thought it is to remember that, that God is present with you. Maybe make that a practice all the time to always have a moment where, where God is present, where God is, is there, even though he's unseen, he's still there with you. And he grants this thing that scripture talks about called the, the, a peace that passes all understanding. And I think sometimes we hear that phrase and we kind of just kind of peruse over it. But think about this for a minute. Peace is something that, that most definitely is fleeting in our world. But in many cases, it's fleeting in our spirit. Right? I don't know how often I truly experience a moment of peace. And it's not just like, okay, I have a, a moment to myself and I can take a deep breath. But peace is like there's no inner conflict, no inner struggle. I'm simply connected with God. And let me just tell you, you can't obtain that by your own action. In fact, the peace that passes all understanding is a response to the Spirit indwelling within you, a response to, exper to experiencing the sacrifice that God has done for you by saying, God, you are God. I am not. I recognize that I am a sinner. I give my life to you. I want you to be both Lord and Savior of my life. That's salvation in and of itself. That's where a peace that passes all understanding comes from because it's not something that you and I can accomplish. Obviously, we have to play our part by being open, but the work is done through the person that we worship, that we love, that we celebrate the birth of here in a few weeks. Think about Simeon and, and, and Anna for just a moment. Simeon, in and, and verse 25, we see that he is righteous and devout. And Anna, down in 36, get this, there was a, there was a prophet. And she, she lived with her husband for seven years, and then he passed, and she was 84 years old. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to him in that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all, who all were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. These two, they'd been at it for a while, and they'd had their fair share of struggle. They'd had their fair share of walking through the fire, not just generationally through the generations that came before, but personally they had experienced this themselves, and they had this kind of carry-on mentality. I met with a couple a couple of weeks ago that had been married for more than 60 years. 60 years. And, and I am a person that when I look at experience, I recognize the reality that there is, there is something to learn through experience. And I asked them, like, what, what do you attribute this to? How did you make this possible? And they told me everything has always been perfect. It's never been hard. It's been a honeymoon for 60 years, right? No. They said, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult, and some, it's difficult for some more than others. I get that. Not everybody walks through the same trials, but they said we chose not to give up on one another. We chose even in the difficult times to have hope in one another and in God, who is the center of our relationship. They recognized there was going to be hard times, and they continued to carry on even when their hope is tested. And that's the same thing in our lives. Even when our hope is tested, we choose to carry on. Anna and Simeon, they carried on. In fact, hope inspires us to carry on. Get this, hope inspires us to carry on. Maybe you haven't thought about this before, but the reality is that in many cases, when we have hope in Jesus, especially if you went through the practice we did about a month ago of, of taking the, the armor of God passage and putting it somewhere where you could read it and kind of physically, maybe, but probably more spiritually put on the armor of God every single day. The one physical thing is that, that sword, right? The, the Bible, right? But the, the, the physical or the, the, um, the figurative armor of God, you, you put those things on and you start the day that way. That hope that we have in Scripture, that hope that we have in God is what brings forth an opportunity for us to carry on. 
The Apostle Paul described it like this, because hope sometimes comes from a place that we wouldn't necessarily expect. He describes it like this. There's a cycle in Romans chapter 5. We boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we hope that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so the reality is that hope, in Paul's recollection here in his, his, his book, his, um, in chapter 5 of his book to the Romans, is this, that hope in many cases comes from a place of suffering. Maybe you're like me, and from time to time when you walk through a trial, you just say, God, get me out of this. God, I don't like this. It's uncomfortable. I'm hurting. I'm frustrated. Just get me through. Let me just tell you right now, I'm a person that in many cases I like to kind of see the end. Sometimes I want to know how a movie ends. Like, did they make it? Is it a true story? What happens there? I can tell you right now, if I'd have known how the game would have ended yesterday with Michigan and Ohio State, I probably wouldn't have watched it. I would have skipped out on that suffering, right? But let me tell you, in life, if you skip out on the suffering, you skip out on what Paul says is the opportunity to be able to grow in hope. Because we hope in something greater when we experience the darkness or the trials. And the reality when we look at, even when we look at those doves, the the, the reality is that there is a light at the end of the darkness. We know who wins. God wins. And because we know that light about it, we can walk through the trials knowing that we can hope in the one who grants us that peace that passes all understanding. Most marathon runners, and I'm not talking about those that that run a marathon like every weekend during marathon season, like they like spending like $85 and spending their Saturday running, right? I'm talking about the people who run one marathon in their whole life. It's like their goal on their bucket list, I want to run one marathon. Most of them, I read this recently, most of them will run that marathon. The second digit of their age is typically a nine, right? They're 29, 39, 49, 59. And there's a reason for that, right? There's a reason for that because they've walked through life and there needed to be some kind of a deadline for them, for them to be able to step into the first step figuratively and literally of that marathon, because they, just, they, they said, you know, I want to run a marathon before I'm 30, 40, 50, 60. And so that nine becomes, okay, the urgency is here. I have to do it. I have to move forward. And in the art of struggle, that is what motivates them to do it. Sometimes we don't have hope because we're not motivated in the times of struggle. We're not motivated in the times of darkness. But if I were to rewind and, 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 and just take a moment on this last one, hope inspires us to carry on. And so that cycle that Paul expresses in his letter to the Romans is is evident. In, In the suffering, we ultimately conclude with hope. I don't know about you, but there's no shortage of suffering in my world, in my life, in this world. That sounds like one of the greatest recycling programs in the universe, right? We take what Satan intended for bad. We take what Satan intended to destroy us, the darkness. We give it to God. We engage with him. And ultimately, at the end, we experience hope and light. 
Hope inspires us. Hope emboldens us. Hope builds upon hope more and more and keeps us going no matter what. So often we want to skip to tomorrow. We want to skip past the things that we have today, the frustrations, the the different things we have to engage in, when in essence what the Spirit is saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying, look, I want to give you hope. Engage in it. Step into it. I'll empower you. I'll be here. I always have been. I always will be. In Christ, we've been given the end of the story. We know that. And through the pains of this earth and the things that take place and the brokenness of our present world, the darkness that's all around us, we can always know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Whether that be here on this earth or eternally, there's always light because of Jesus. Now, I know this is probably easier for me to say and harder for us to live, but let me just say the first step is the hardest. The first step is the hardest. And so here's the rhetorical question. I often ask this, uh, this, this practice in here, and I'm going to ask it once again today. Is I'm going to ask a question, which is actually on your note guide, and I want to encourage you to have the conversation with a friend or a loved one or whoever it might be sometime today, sometime this week in a very real, practical, and tangible way. What is your next step of hope this Advent season? Presuming that your goal isn't just to check the box and move on and get through Christmas, presuming your goal is to learn more about Jesus in this season and to know him in a greater way, the question is, what is your next step of hope in this Advent season? Embracing the hope that is unseen, embracing the hope of things that we may not understand or may not know. Are you in a difficult time right now at work or or, or with family? Maybe you're in a difficult time with with what you believe and, and what you're trying to walk through, all the different things that are being thrown at us. Maybe right now you're struggling with doubt. You're struggling with doubt in who God is or whether he even exists. God, why would you allow things to happen? God, why would you allow bad things to happen in this world? Perhaps in this moment, it's, it's a time to step forward in hope and to say, God, fill me. Help me, God, in in this struggle to come to you for truth and for peace. Maybe today it's hard for you to to hope in God or to hope in in this Advent moment because you're dealing with a loss. A loss of a job or a friend or a loved one. Loss of, of, of a previous way of life that we used to experience not just two years ago. Maybe you're, you're, you're frustrated because of the loss that you're walking through and there's little hope in your life and Satan's got all these things he's throwing at you and in essence, God's on the other side saying, I'm still here. So I ask the question again and as we go to prayer here to close this portion of the service, I want to encourage you to answer this question in your spirit, don't, don't, don't just slough it off. Don't say, okay, that was good. No, when the spirit speaks, respond. But here's the question. What is your next step of hope in this Advent season? Pray with me. Father, we come to you acknowledging the fact that you are God and we are not. And your plans are perfect. Your timing is perfect. And we are simply merely a creation that doesn't always get it. But the, 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 the reality is even in the frustration of that, but also kind of in the hidden glory of that is, God, we know you've got it. We know that you're working. We know that you're present. We know, Father, that, that, you, uh, that you work all things out for the good of those who love and serve you. And so, Father, we put it in your hands. We hope in you.
We place our hope in you. God, I pray for the ones here today or the ones, God, that we know that may not be hoping in you because they've been burned in the past, maybe even by someone, quote, from the church. God, I pray that they wouldn't put stock in anything of this world, even another person, but instead they would put their stock, their hope in you. I pray for those who perceive that they've been burned by you, that they put their hope in you before and feel like they didn't get the result, but God, I pray that they would revisit Pray that each of us would revisit the, the, the dark times in our life, the, the times of storm, the, the times of frustration in our lives, God, and we wouldn't necessarily get bogged down by those things or discouraged by those things, but instead, Father, we would find ways in those to persevere, to find character, and to find hope. And God, may we recognize, just like we, we, we looked at this, this physical object lesson, God, but we recognize the fact that because your son is not dead and in a grave somewhere, that we can experience, even at the midst of the darkness we're in, we can experience a fresh and anew, a peace that passes all understanding, a hope in you. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, God, for what you have done. We love you. We put our hope in you. And may this Advent season be one where we glorify you above all else. Speak to us. Allow us, God, to, to hear you, to be changed, to respond. In your son's precious and perfect and holy and sacrificial and hope-filled name that we pray. And all God's people said once again, all together, amen, amen. Hear these words. My invitation to you is that you step forward toward hope in this Advent season. Hope is dawning. Christ is coming. Amen. Christ will return again. So let's welcome him in our hearts and our lives every day in this season of expectation and hope. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.